Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beater, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, faithful listeners, and welcome to another Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Our guest today is racing greyhound owner and breeder Bob Crossland, who will tell us about life on a greyhound farm. Unfortunately, he's got no puppies to bring us into the studio. And he will also share some tips for those of you who are considering purchasing your very own racing greyhound. Now I'm going to turn it over to the plucky GMGP hosts, Rory and TJ. Are you two ready to get this party started? Sure. <laughs> well, yep. the, Aren't we always? Yeah, well, that is true. We are. We, you, you, we is always plucky. We're, yeah. we're always wound up and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, um, you know, last week's show was fan mail, and there was some questions in that fan mail that we didn't get to last week with um, Dennis. But um, I also figured that we should maybe get somebody like. Mr. Crossland, who would be better at answering these questions. And part of the, the questions that we didn't get to last week that we want to get to this week is the topic of whether it's possible, possible to purchase a greyhound puppy for racing. Is it best to contact a trainer or owner regarding possible purchase of a greyhound? Is it super rare for that to work out? And is it possible to ask for a certain racer to be adopted that you could adopt it afterward, kind of like the pre-adoption? So, Isn't you know, it good we have somebody who can answer those questions yeah, on with us? Yeah, we, we have the the man. <laughs> the man. <laughs> you the man. I, 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 the only thing I can really say about the adoption part of it is just... It, it would be a personal, something personal between the owner and the person that wants to adopt. Yeah. At least ask if the dog's available. And that happens. It it, it, ha- it does happen. Uh, I've had people contact me and ask, you know, if the dog is, uh, can could they adopt the dog? And, and I said that I already have, uh, the majority of my dogs that are at the racetrack have already been spoken for. So I, I don't, uh, I, but I do see the point of what they're asking You're about. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, Bob, why don't you, first, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your uh, your how did you get involved with uh, greyhounds and uh, r- raising them, and uh, yeah, just tell us how you got started. <laughs> well, in general, I I've been I've been raising dogs since I was about seven years old. Holy cow! I, I had a, I've got a great uncle, and fortunately, he's still alive. He's 85 years old, and I was just crazy about wanting to go hunting with him. He had beagles and coonhounds, and, and uh, of course, I, I grew up with around around farm animals all my life. And then uh, uh, just as I got older, of course, you know, when you turn a teenager, you forget about all that stuff. You know, you get a car and start chasing girls, and then you forget about life. <laughs> and so... And then after a while, after you get married and start settling down, you go back to your roots. At least I did. But anyway, anyway in the case of 1989, they opened the Woodlands here in Kansas City. And uh, I had a friend of mine say, you know, you, you should probably go out there. This might be something you'd like to do. So we, we started going out there. And, and uh, it wasn't long from the time I got there. Matter of fact, I think they opened in the 
in the summer of '89, and by the fall of '89, I was at the I was at my first nationals in Abilene, and so coming this fall and going to the nationals, I will be 30 years uh, attending the nationals. Wow. Never missed. I've never missed the nationals in 30 years. Wow! But uh, it, it's just it's just. Uh, I think it's just the person, not just myself, but anybody else that's, that's involved with the ownership of raising these dogs, uh, living on these farms where you're you're stuck. You know, you, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't. People don't understand that when you're raising and you've got a farm full of dogs, you're you you have to be here seven days a week. And uh, like people ask, I've been married thirty three years. My wife, you know, my wife would tell you years ago said we she went on vacation. And I stayed home, and then I went on vacation, and she stayed home because the two things, raising kids and, and uh, raising animals on a farm, somebody has to be here. So it's, uh, and I've got a lot of people say, I sure wish I could do that. And I said, well, it takes a certain, only takes a certain type of person that's willing to give up, you know, part of your livelihood, part of your life to stay home because these dogs have to be tended to every day. Briefly, tell us about how your day shakes out. Like, what time do you get up? Um, you know, do you get a lunch? Do you just kind of work, 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 and until it's time to no, go to bed? It, 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 I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I retired. I worked at UPS for thirty years, and when I retired, I've been retired seven and a half years. And after I retired, I just set the. I get up when I want, and take care of. And then once I get up and. You know, get her, get myself situated. Uh, the dogs get taken care of first before anything else gets done. We mix the feed and and uh, go go take care of that. Make sure the dogs have clean water and and uh, clean some messes. And then uh, after that, then we tend to the farm. You know, whatever whatever chores have to be done, cutting grass or fixing fence or what. You know, just whatever comes about. Every day is going to be different. But if you keep it up, you know, and not let it get away from you, uh, it, it's just a routine that you put yourself into, and, and it, you know, it doesn't take that long. You don't, you don't spend. I don't. I don't spend the whole day dealing with the same things. That's pretty, pretty. You know, people who are involved in in this sport, whether it's working the kennel or the farm, people don't understand who who have no involvement. How much time and care you guys put into the put into working with these dogs? It's, um, you, I mean, you really have to to love what you do and love what you're working with to to do this. And I th- I think it shows, especially like on the adoption side, when we end up getting the dogs, how much care and love they they've received. Wouldn't you agree, T J? Absolutely, yeah. I certainly do. Um, I've personally been involved uh, I probably mentioned this before for over 20 years in greyhound adoption and I can honestly say and, and I'm, I'm reiterating something here for a purpose <laughs> that I have never ever seen an abused greyhound come through our adoption program um, through my chapter or at a national level anything uh, the only time I've ever seen uh, a case of neglect or abuse was with an adopted greyhound um, that came from another group that, that, that we picked up as my group and nursed back to health. 
and I'm willing to take a polygraph test on that, and there's my challenge again. Yet again, publicly, I'm willing to take a polygraph test on anything I say as far as my statements about Greyhound Racing. So there you go. Again, since we've yet to hear anything about John's challenge from the other part. Uh, yeah, I doubt we will, but we will keep pressuring for that debate between Carrie Thiel and John Parker. The John, invitation is open. John has accepted. We're just waiting on Carrie Thiel to accept. Uh, so getting back to um, Bob. Uh, Bob, you, said, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years. Is there one dog that stands out to you in, in all the 30 years that you've had? Not, not, not just one. It's there's something about. I don't know how to explain this because you'll have people that breed dogs and they have a higher percentage of males that turn out better than females. And in my case, uh, if I give you a list of all the top dogs that have left this farm and went on to the racetrack and done well, we we raise better females than we do males here, and I don't have an answer. So why that is, I don't know whether it's because the the females that we pick for our brood females are so dominant that that they produce better females. I've never, I've never been. I've asked myself this question for a long time, but I can't figure out an answer. Is you know you see you see people in the industry that that come up with stud dogs constantly, just one after the other, and I don't know if maybe that's a numbers game. You know, because they raise a lot of dogs. But in in our case, uh, it just seems like we've always been extremely fortunate to raise really good females. Hmm. So to answer your question, I couldn't give you. I mean, I can give you several names, but I mean, it's it's uh, like I sold a female to Bob Ryder one time at the Nationals, and her name was getting stormy. And uh, I, as a matter of fact, I told the story that at this last. Uh, Greyhound gathering about about uh, getting stormy, and then uh, got another female. Matter of fact, she's downstairs with ten puppies, and her name is Beautiful Tease. And had another female, you know, that ran at Bluff Run for years, and uh, she was a stakes dog. Her name was Miss Mitchell. So it, you know, I could probably go on and on about these females, and it just seemed like I, I've never been able to raise that stakes quality male, but I can come up with a way to raise these stakes quality females and I don't know I, I wish I had the answer I wish I could figure this out but I guess it's, it's, it's just something that that you you know you sit around and you look at, at these pedigrees for hours sometimes days and I've even had people question me said were you really on the computer at two o'clock in the morning and I said yeah I'll just <laughs> when I get ready to breed a female I, I, I go through a process in my head on how I want to get it done and, and which crops I want to make. So I got to use which sire but to go to that particular female. And you'll do this day and day and day. You'll do it for several days in a row. And then when it comes time to breed, you'll change your mind. And you'll just, you know, because, because you got so many things going on in, in your process, there's a process that everybody uses and, I'm going to guess that most people don't use the same process. Hmm. Uh, in, in my case, to pick a female to breed is I'm, I'm what I call myself as a perpetuation breeder. And, it, and what that means to me is, is I start off with a good female that was a, she was good at the racetrack. She was out of a good litter, and her mother produced and her grandmother produced. 
And that's that's the criteria that I use before I breed one of these females. So it's you know it's just a, it's a process. Are there and any? I, like I said, I'm not I'm not saying how someone else does it because I I never really cared how someone else did it, even though I know that they've got a way that it works for them. Other than the um, the pedigree and the individual dog's performance, is there anything else that you maybe kind of veer off to regarding, um, you know, qualities you may want to bring into the next generation or, you know, just a good personality? I mean, does that even have any bearing if a, if a dog has a certain type of personality? Is it uh, any guarantee that the puppies will be just as good as the, the parents? No, absolutely no guarantee. Hmm. Yeah, no, you can breed, and I learned this from an early early time in this business that I've seen at one time years ago with a guy named Ronnie Beckner in my opinion he was probably the best breeder in the 80s and in the, in the 90s I don't think anybody could touch the guy and he bred a dog named Blenway uh, which was I mean, he was just an absolute monster and they bred him to a female named Swedish Episode which was possibly the best female that I've probably seen in a long time and they bred them two dogs together, and you, the pups couldn't make playing field. So there's no guarantee just because you, you know, just because you breed the best to the best that you'll get that type of quality. Matter of fact, it, it turns into really uh, more of a disappointment uh, when it doesn't turn out because you've got so many high hopes on the breeding. Mm-hmm. So it's in my in my case, uh, there's a lot of things I look at. And it's hard to explain. You know, it, it, sometimes you just can't put words into things that we think about here on the farm. And, and but I mean, I do look at things. I look at confirmation. I look at temperament. But the main thing I do is, is that I look at is is what we started with. If you started with something good, then you can move forward. If you can't start with something bad and think you're going to improve it. It, it it really don't doesn't work that way. And another thing I learned I learned this from an from a from an old lady one time, and I'll never forget this in my life. She said, "You can't make chicken salad out of chicken poop." But she didn't say poop. And I I, I, I live by that motto with these dogs. You honestly cannot make chicken salad out of it. You can't do it. So if you think you can start off. Being cheap and and when what scares me the most and I and this has happened with people that I've tried to get started in the business when someone turns and tells me that they're getting something for free I, I just cringe uh-huh. I, the, 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 it just it just it just runs chills down my spine to know that the word free scares me to death because if it was free somebody else didn't want it. Exactly. You know, I that's kn- probably a good a good thought, Bob. Um, you know, it, it's very easy for a lot of people to say, "Oh, you make money off of the dogs. You make money off of the dogs." Well, I have my own opinions about who really makes money off of the dogs, and I don't think it's the owners. Um, how do you um, going back into to sort of what you were speaking about with your females and, and how you choose your your broods? What do you consider for the males? Um, I particularly have a an affinity for the um, the Timley line and head honcho uh, those types of, of bloodlines. So, what what do you look at 
as, as far as the male to breed? Well, it's the... It's actually, we, what we do, if you study enough pedigrees, you go back in that pedigree and you try to find out what, what you can figure out. And this is all in, in a personal thought process, is what worked, what's worked in the past, what did they cross, what bloodline crossed with what bloodline, and produced the fast dogs. And, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's so hard to talk about it because, there's things that we miss even. You know, you sit back later after you did something. You know, for instance, Craigie Whistler bloodline crosses extremely well with people Dodge. But you can turn around and I can say I bred, you know, a female that I had, she's probably the best producer I ever owned, a female named Whistler's Wrath. And I, I bred her to Dodge by Design. She threw stakes, dogs, dogs, break track records. And I bred her to Casey and all. And and she's just one one dog after the other. The whole litter were just really nice dogs. And then I turn around and breed her to a dog named Lonesome Cry. And I really had reservations on breeding to this dog because he throws so many fast dogs, but he throws so many dogs with holes in their head. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get. You have no idea. It just, it's, he, just, he just throws flaky dogs. But they're they're so fast that you take that gamble. And in my case, I don't like him, but I went ahead and bred my female team, and I did, I, I mean, there's a there's some of them in there that can run, but, but I, I found the holes. Believe me, we found the holes. You could you could drive a semi-truck through them. <laughs> well, just to interject here, uh, the reason I'm laughing so hard is Rory and I did have a... Um, Lonesome Cry daughter, and uh, we didn't call her Miss Mayhem for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I think, she, and she had yeah. some holes. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, but you take them chances. This is a problem, you know, on our end. Where we're on our, we we're looking, we're looking for that niche. You know, we're we're always trying to figure out a way to, to bring the niche into the game where where you find that fast dog. You know, everybody. I mean, I don't care who you are. Everybody wants to win. And not just in greyhound racing, in life, everybody wants to win. And and so you know you 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 look at all this stuff at, at a different angle. You know you're sitting there going, okay, what if I do this? Okay, well you got to think about there's another side to this. What happens if I make a mistake? You know this cost is it's, it's costs a lot of money, and and uh, you can't take those type of gambles, especially when you're on you know like myself. A lot of people, if you think my name is out there, that you know that I, I do this and that, but I'm just a small breeder. I'm I'm not the I'm not this big guy like them. You know, like the big boys that keep four or five hundred dogs. Uh, those days uh, they passed me. You know, back in I'll tell you the story when I was when I used to work. I was in my thirties and forties, and I would go to work every day. And I don't know. If, I'm I'm assuming you guys know how hard UPS workers drive uh, work, and. I would, I would also, I'm working all day telling myself, man, I can't wait till I retire. I'm going to build a bigger farm and I'm going to have two, three hundred dogs. <laughs> and when I retired seven years ago, my wife looked at me and she said, uh, what do you think? And I said, no, I think we're going to uh, downsize <laughs> because I'm not 35 years old again. <laughs> So we, you know, we, we, you, you kind we of bring downsized. me to a point. 
Oh, sorry about that. It's, we have that slight delay there. You kind of brought me to the the second part, of, or actually back to the first part of what what I was asking you about earlier. Um, cost wise, for one dog, one puppy raised uh, until it's ready to go. Let's just say it goes through the the finishing and everything, and it's ready to go to the track. What's a good guesstimate as to how much money you put into just one one pup? From, from birth to the time it goes to a track? Well, I've, I've answered this question many a time, and I have the same answer. It's mm-hmm. an average. Average dog to, for a person to buy in on a dog and have it raised and have it finished and to, to all the way to track ready, you're going to spend between $3,500 and $4,000. Now, that doesn't mean you can't spend a little bit less, and it doesn't mean you can't spend a little bit more. But that's just an average $3,500 to $4,000. And, and I think and that's something good for that, people to know. Yeah. Yeah, well, and my favorite thing that I've, I've got to deal with, anytime someone calls me, and I get a lot of phone calls, especially from the new people, is that I tell them, don't ever borrow money to do this, and don't spend your lunch money. You know, <laughs> if you've got, everybody's got a house payment or rent or something. They've got money that's that's, you know, set aside to take care of their their personal bills is that if you can't afford to do this, don't do it. Exactly. In other words, you're going to start out in the hole with the dog before you ever even have the chance to see if the dog will make any money. Is it, what you're saying? Yeah. And, and another thing, so you, you, I think everyone needs to understand that as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, 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 but you have to make sure that they do understand it because you know when you're talking to people, and I feel, believe me, I feel guilty of most of this myself. Is that everybody thinks I, they can cut the corner and you know? Oh, I can. Let me see. I want to try to figure out a way to do this, and I know I'm. You know, uh, I can get away. I can get by with this, and it just don't do that to yourself. You know, if you if you can do it, great. If you can't do it, tell yourself the truth. Because it's it's no fun if you put yourself in that position. And the whole, in my opinion, what I've always told the new people that want to get involved in this business is if you're not having any fun, what's the point? It's all about the fun. Are we having fun yet? I we're having fun. We here. are having fun. Yes. You know, and I know uh, Bob. You know, I know Bob sells T-shirts and uh, hats, and I, I think I may have a new idea for him for a new T-shirt. Bob's bitches be rocking it. <laughs> what did I, I missed that? What do you say? Well, we don't have to repeat it. It's just good that you missed it. No, yeah. A T-shirt. Well, hey, make sure you send, make sure you send me that idea. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've changed I've changed a lot of ideas. If I can sell a shirt, I'll sell it. I mean, but people people have to understand about the shirts and the hats. Is it's it's a no profit situation. I've never tried to make a profit off from it. In most cases, I give this stuff away, especially to help the adoption groups out right. if they're having an option. But my point is, and sometimes we do sell them. We just sell a shirt or a hat. Somebody contacts us wanting to buy a shirt or a hat. And what we do is it, that shirt or that hat cost me between 6 and 8 bucks a piece. So what we do is keep the 6 or $8 back so we can buy another shirt or another hat. And we we forward the rest of that money on to adoption groups and and or fundraisers of of some sort, you know, pro racing type of stuff. So there's really no profit in it. We're very fortunate here that I'm not worried about trying to sell a shirt to to uh, 
buy any groceries or anything like that. So uh, I, I've been confronted by a lot, a lot of people and a lot of groups, and it was my offer uh, that if anybody needed any help uh, in any way, I'll help them with their auction or I'll help them with items. And, and I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars mailing stuff out of my pocket uh, and don't mind it. Matter of fact, I mailed some stuff out yesterday. <laughs> well, so it's, it's, well, Bob, I will have to say that for for you, I would like to give you a little bit of a plug. Um, anytime a, an adoption group or organization mentions they're going to have an auction, you're right there with your your boxing gloves on. You are the best person to draw in uh, bids and to bring people in for the auction. Um, I'm not sure what you do with some of the you know greyhound lapel pins that are specifically designed for women. Uh, I guess your <laughs> wife probably has a lot of the things that you've wound up winning in some of the auctions. But um, for the adoption community, you certainly have done a lot um, over the course of the years, and it is very much appreciated. And you've done a lot to bridge that gap between adoption and, and breeding and racing. And um, what, what made you go in that direction where did that where did, when did that light bulb go off with you well I, I, to be honest with you I got a phone call from Candy Beck and I can't tell you what year this was but it's been a, it's been a long time ago and I didn't know her but uh, uh, you know with the internet coming out and everything and, and uh, she had contacted me and she asked me would I be willing to donate some stuff to her to their to their group and and uh, I had a box of stuff here that you're speaking of that I had won in auctions I had no idea half the time I even won this stuff uh, <laughs> because I'm I'm always trying to figure out a way to bid somebody or just bid them up or for whatever reason I had a box of stuff here I'm telling you coats and collars and whatever you can imagine and I just threw it in a box and so I, I taped that box up and sent it to her and then after that she had contacted me about uh, owning half interest in a dog, and we worked that out. Uh, that dog's name is Gene Krupa, and that was another thing I gave her group was the naming rights to to that particular dog. And then uh, what happened was after that, with uh, and I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself because I'm talking okay. about this Facebook stuff, and and the funniest part about that was I, I'm not very computer. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a computer person. I'm not even smart enough to have the time to turn it on. And my daughter comes out one day, and I'm working out there around the dogs, and it's hot, and I'm probably about half ticked off because I'm out here fixing something that the dogs tore up. Yeah, actually, Bob. And can she we, says, "Can we just?" She says, "Bob, can we just jump in real quick? We do need to take a break, and we'll be right okay. back after these messages. So everyone, get the pups out, and we'll be back." With more of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs. 
and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. GPA, Greyhound Pets of America. We're talking cool greyhounds. Come on down to the GPA, cause the greyhounds need a good place to stay. Great with the kids, cause they love to play down at the GPA. While they've worked so hard, now they need a rest. But when you take one home, you see they're the best. Greyhound Rocket says it on my best. Come and see us at the GPA. Come on down to the GPA. 
Call 800-366-1472 Or contact greyhoundpets.org Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787 Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787 Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Yes, indeedy, Mr. Medium Voice Announcer Guy. We are back with the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. I'm Kathy, and TJ and Rory are here with me with our guest, Bob Crossland. TJ, it's over to you now for the second half. Okay, well, I'm going to give Bob an opportunity to finish the, um, the story he was telling. And then I do have another question for him that concerns adoption. So, Bob, I'm going to kick it to you to finish your story. About well, Eugene Krupa, would, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, what what I was saying was was uh, Nicole, which is my daughter. She came outside, and she's just a kid at the time. And she said, "Hey, I said I made us a Facebook page for Crossland Farm." And I looked at her, and I mean, I got sweat rolling down my chest. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> "I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> you know, whatever. I'll look at it later. You know, I'm, I'm, a, a, you know, you, when you're when you're out there doing stuff, you're not thinking about what the hell are these kids talking about. Uh, you don't understand half of it anyway when you're old. But anyway, uh, she explained it to me and she set it up. And then, of course, we had announced that that uh, Candy had been involved in in uh, owning half interest now in the Greyhound. And I'm telling you right now, it was like somebody was giving stuff away. My, my, the internet was going crazy. My phone's going crazy. And they said, well, if Candy can do it, why can't we do it? And it just, it just snowballed uh, with the adoption people and the internet people. The internet people, the adoption people, you know, I think it's something that maybe they had in the back of their mind, but they were scared to ask. Uh, and it didn't dawn on us. On the other end, in the industry, we never we never really give it a thought that there might be someone else out there that's interested in getting involved in the in the in the business. But after after the first uh, after what it found out that somebody in the adoption world could be involved in owning a dog, uh, our 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 business went completely crazy. It, it's just unreal about the amount the amount of people that we've gotten involved uh, in ownership. It, I, I think Jan Vasquez came up with the list one time, but it, I think she came in with like she only started counting when she got in the industry. But before her, there was there was people. So there's well over a hundred. I'm guessing well over a hundred adoption and internet people that have gotten involved in dog ownership through through our farm. Wow. And that was so, that was going to be my my next question. That was a great segue. Um, over the years. I have definitely seen a, a huge spike in people that started out not just as adopters, but as adoption group volunteers that have decided they wanted to get into 
the racing end of it and, and, and at least buying a part of a puppy, as we would say, uh, going in halves with someone or, or, or whatever. And that, that statement to me resonates a lot about the welfare of the dogs that the adoption community that, that we take in. We, we certainly, or, or I'm, I'm sure that, that with the adoption community, had we been seeing all of the horrible, horrible, horrible things that you hear, uh, that would be the last thing that we would want to do. And that was going to be my question to you. Did you have any idea how many in adoption uh, had actually came across and in, in wanted to, to purchase a puppy? And I think you just pretty much answered that. And have you seen that trend continue to climb, or, or is it declining or staying status quo? Well, I, I mean, right now, you know, with, with the you know, with the industry in limbo, what I call limbo with Florida, uh, I've got a list of about thirty people that have asked me because we 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 always ask people to put their name on a list, uh, and then then I contact them when the puppies are available if they're still interested, then then we deal with them at that time. And in some cases, you know, things come up. The list doesn't mean that they're that they're tied to me that they have to buy a puppy at any point. Uh, things, you know, life comes up. You have, you know, you have to get tired for the car, or the kid gets sick, or you got a dental, you know, bill coming up. So at that point, we don't we don't force any money to, to buy a puppy just because they're on the list. But the list is just something that we do as a reference tool. And it, it but it, but the adoption people uh, have have come around faster than people thought. See, with the industry itself told me whenever I said, hey, I think this Internet and the adoption people, uh, they want to get involved in this. You know, they want to get involved. And the, the, the people in the industry, you know, kind of looked at me like, eh, you know, we've been fighting these people for years, and they, you know, they are AR, and they're not going to do nothing. But I found just the opposite. I found once the Internet came in and the people wanted to get involved, uh, and and the ones that wanted to step out of the bounds and go out and find out the truth that the dogs aren't being abused and that the dogs are being taken care of, uh, it's it, you know it it just brought everybody full circle, and that's the reason why they wanted to get involved in the, in in the ownership. So it's you know it, it, I mean we can find out what reason why and why not. I think it's just people in general. Nobody knows until you. Until you ask the right questions, or until you you know you, you you get the right answers, you know. So I'm not saying everybody that asked those questions jumped in because some of them still might have had reservations. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, to make one point that I'll try to make before I forget something is is that we've always had an open door policy here on our farm to anybody that wanted to visit to see what kind of conditions that that the dogs and the farm are in. So I have had uh, some people that were, you know, what you would call people that want to ride the fence on not knowing whether they wanted to believe what the ARs say versus, you know, what, what the industry says. So, uh, I, you know, I've answered any question that anybody showed up here, uh, and we still have the same, we still have the same policy. We have an open-door policy. As long as we're home, I won't let somebody come on my property unless I'm home. But if I'm home and they want to drive up this driveway, they're welcome. 
I mean, and that's and I think that's part of what has helped adoption cross that bridge. Um, everybody, I guess, that's been listening knows my story. I did not start out as AR. Um, I still don't have a racer. I may in the future. <laughs> we'll we'll see. But um, it's it's something that I think is very intriguing to the people who are or have taken the time to visit farms. Um, that, that do have that open door policy, and there are a lot that do. Um, I can understand during nationals that it's a little bit crazier to to try to disrupt the schedule, so people would need to be respectful of that uh, if they're at an Abilene. But um, it definitely seems to me that I'm I'm a little bit perplexed sometimes at people that don't want to understand the truth or do not want to hear the truth. Um, that's all a part of learning. I would be far more proud to go through a day and say I learned something than to say I ignored something because I didn't want to know that I was wrong. Um, and you guys in the, the, the racing industry have always taken the time to answer my questions. Um, and many of you remember the dogs that I've, I've spoken to trainers that have remembered my dogs from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And remember everything about them. So it's not like you guys don't know what you're talking about. And for those that do have questions, they need to go to the source uh, rather than people that are political lobbying organizations that have no experience in adoption or raising the puppies or, or what their lives are in the kennel because I suspect many of them have never even been in a kennel. So you've you've done a lot to help bridge that that gap, and that's very much appreciated. And you know, TJ, you brought up something there. Uh, you, you know, years ago in Arizona, we had a lot of farms out here, and I think back on a lot of those farms, they were right out in the open, right near Phoenix. There was, you know, you drive by, you could see. It's not like they were off hiding or anything. It was right there for everyone to see. Um, you drove by, you know, there was. It was right there, so it's not like they're off trying to hide and do something behind the scenes or whatever. It was there for everyone to see. Uh. And boy, there really are some beautiful farms. I mean, you can see them. I don't know how you guys mow the farms because the, the, they're so beautiful and green and lush, and there's just so so much beauty to it. And I'm a farm girl myself. I grew up on a farm, not a greyhound farm, but. A farm, so I can definitely appreciate the work that is put into it, but especially in the, the heat of the summer and everything, I cannot imagine the amount of maintenance that it takes to to keep the farms as beautiful as they are. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Now, I do want to ask a question, and I'll just have to say, I'm asking this for a friend because of anyone who knows uh, myself, I'm not by law. And it's an actual law. I am not allowed to have ownership in a racing greyhound and or a racing kennel or and or a racing track. Um, but, Bob, if, if, if somebody was interested, what would be the best thing for them to first do? Uh, contact you on Facebook or is there some research they should do or, or what? Well, I I don't think that I've ever read it myself, but there there is a guideline that the that the NGA has set up on their webpage for anybody that's interested in reading it. Uh, I I personally have never read it, 
uh, probably should have, but I didn't. It's just a guideline to get to get people that are interested in, in and it gives you like if you want to answer a question. And, or you can contact the NGA also as far as that goes. As far as somebody that, that didn't say, hey, I just want to call one person, I'll go straight to the source, which is the NGA. But in my case, uh, just about it, with the Internet now, just about everybody knows that I, I, I'm, I've got an open-door policy. And they, they know I don't like to text. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, you just call me on the phone. And a lot of people send you a private message and they say, you know, I've got a, I've got a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. And, and, and I say, look, call me on the phone because we can sit here and type all day and you don't really get your point across like you would in a conversation. Yep. Just going back and forth with, you know, with private messages, they're, they're scared to ask a straight question because they're new. It's, 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 uh, it's intimidating. Uh, for especially for somebody new uh, that you know think, oh my God, I get to talk to so and so. Well, you know that if you've been doing this as long as me, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not trying to be somebody else. So, you know, just just if you got a question, just ask it. You know, uh, and and if it's a, if it's a question that someone can't answer, you'd say so. You know, it's just but the new people, uh, it's the internet. The internet has brought all the new interest into the industry. And it's not just adoption people, it's the internet people. And, uh, and I, you know, myself, I welcome, you know, they don't have to buy. I told people uh, every time they talk to me, I said, listen, if you don't buy a dog from me, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, if you're thinking about a dog, buying a dog from someone else, call me. If there's any questions that I can help you with, I'll, I'll help you. Because, I mean, there's, there's other people out there breeding nice dogs. So, you know, I'm not trying to uh, control any type anybody's business. I'm not trying to control the market. Uh, very fortunate that I don't have to worry about it, uh, you know, as far as uh, economically and all that kind of stuff. But I just, I, I don't know. I just I just don't mind helping. You know, there's a lot of people who say, I don't want to be dealing with that. I don't want to deal with, with these people and all their questions and they're taking up too much of my time and all that. I enjoy it. I don't know. I can't give you an explanation of why. I just do. You know, I mean, believe me, there's people that have called her, and I, you know, I'm sitting there going, I hope they hurry up and shut up so I can get off this phone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but in general, you, you just have people that just want to talk because they want to learn. And they can't learn if they don't ask. And there's things, you may be surprised, but there's things that some people give you in uh, your question and answer that you didn't know, you know, because just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean you know everything. Exactly. Well, that's it's really cool that you have opened up your livelihood and, and your residence to, you know, everybody out there who's curious. And, and it is really nice that to hear somebody who's been doing it for more than like two weeks to say, yeah, I, I'm always learning something new. Something always pops up, you know, that I didn't know. And, and I think that's that's very genuine. You know, the other thing I did have, because uh, TJ had asked earlier about kind of the cost. Now, is there other things people would have to do? Like um, you mentioned that the NGA, would they have to be a member of the NGA? And also, would they have to get a license at at various states? Where the dog might race? Yes, the the buying the dog just the, just one of the steps. 
uh, the you definitely have to be a member. You don't have to be a full member uh, of the National Ground Association. You have to be a full member or an associate member to own a greyhound. They run run that greyhound in the United States. Now, as far as uh, state licenses, just depending on what state the dog runs in, then you would, uh, you know, today with with the, the way the internet's set up, years ago everything came to you in the mail paper wise. You fill it out, you send it back. But now everything's on the internet, and then you just fill out a form off the internet uh, to apply for a license, and then send them the send them the uh, information and a check uh, for however long the license is good for. Some states are one year, and some states are three years, and then uh, you know it's really pretty simple, but. Uh, to answer your question, you have to be a you have to be a member of the NGA, and uh, all of the people that I've that I've gotten involved in the business, I've tried to all talk them into being full members, so that they have voting rights, and that they can vote uh, their their representatives in on the board uh, to try to make this industry better. It's a good point. So okay, we have done our research. And we've purchased our Greyhound, and we've got all the proper memberships, and, and he's, the pup is, is grown up and, and ready to, to hit schooling. Are it- there expenses for, for school for your future racing Greyhound? Well, that, that would fall under the finishing part of the deal when we're talking about the money. But, you know, what I would say between $3,500 and $4,000, that, that would have been added in. But in general, I don't finish the dogs. So the guys that are, that do finish the dogs, and most of them that I use are, are in Abilene, Kansas, is that you, you pay them just like you would anybody else. You pay them by the month, and it's a one-time payment. In some cases, some each one of these farmers do it a little, just a little bit different. But in general, you pay your what I call the board. You you, you pay the board to the farmer, and then he pays. For all the all of the facilities that he has to use, if he's using the training track and it costs him money, then he pays for that. Uh, you know, in the end, you've paid for it, but you just paid for it up front. Okay. And then, is there after they're finished and all done, is there anything with then getting the dog to the track and into a particular kennel? Um, how do we how do we how do we select a kennel where we want our dog to go? Well, we. The process that, that I tell people that works the best is is the guy that's finishing your dog should, should be able to give you an idea on the quality uh, of the dog, and he should be able to tell you which track the dog should would do the best at. Okay. You know, if you if you're a cheap dog, you go to a cheap track, and if you're a mediocre dog, you go to a mediocre track, and if you're a top dog, you go to a top track, and then you know, of course. If if you get that phone call and somebody says, "Hey, your dog can run at Tri-State or Wheeling or Southland, uh, Mardi Gras, you know, something like that," that one of the top tier tracks, uh, there, there's always there's always a kennel that'll take your dogs because every one of them uh, they want their kennel to do the best it can possibly do, so they'll take the fast dogs. Oh yeah. And the slower dogs, the biggest. The, now, if you're getting into cost. The cost after the dog, the guy's done finishing your dog, uh, the cost is you'll have to pay for shipping to get the dog to whatever track he's going to, uh, and 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 then you know depending on what 
what what kennel has room to take these dogs. Uh, the funniest part about that right now, I've got kennels of bacon me for dogs uh, in in Florida because I, there's there's been so many people backed off on their breedings that that their connections to where they were getting dogs is is dwindled. Wow. Now we just got a couple of minutes. We also have the adoption dogs, uh, yeah. and that that is what has happened um, with what I call responsible breeding. Uh, everybody's kept a finger on the pulse of what's going on, and there's just a shortage of greyhounds for the racing and for the retiring. And uh, you know, you better be be ready to wait uh, if you're wanting to um, adopt a greyhound. In many situations. There's going to be a line ahead of you at, at this current point in time. Or get on Bob's list and purchase one now so when it's done, you've got yourself a pet. <laughs> you have your own pet. There yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, any any last words of wisdom? we got like one minute, um, Bob, for our listeners. Well, I mean, I, the, only, the only thing that I can say is if someone's thinking about getting involved, it just... It's really simple to do. It's just that the people are hesitant, just they're scared to ask the questions, you know. And I don't think that they should be. I, I just reiterate to try to tell them. Just if you got something to say, and it doesn't have to be said to me, find somebody, just talk to them, because you know there people like to talk about their their interests, yeah, exactly. what you're interested in. They they love to, especially somebody that likes to boast a little bit. You know, in 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 our case, we don't have to with the internet. My daughter does a great job with with this uh, with this Facebook thing, and she keeps the videos and the pictures oh. on there, and that keeps the that keeps the interest, you know, on our end. All right. Well, we definitely appreciate it. It's been great having you on the show today, Bob. Um, I want to thank our engineer Aaron. Another great job. Our producer Tacy. Thank you um, to all our listeners. Have a great weekend. Remember, everyone. Hug the hounds of the world, and also remember, Bob's bitches be rocking it. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.